0: Howdy there, my fellow distanced fellas. This is Peyton Zignago here with COVID Operation to bring you your daily dose of cheer. <laughs> Happy Wednesday. I certainly hope you have been having a good start of your week and you're already almost halfway through, so good on you. Now, I certainly hope I can make your week even better because I have a super fun interview today. This is probably one of my favorite interviews I've gotten to do so far because I am just so in awe that I got to talk to people who have influenced me and my career and life so much. So really, without any much more ado, I present to you the head honchos, the writer and director pair for the Penumbra podcast. Take it away in the studio, Peyton.
1: Thanks, Peyton. Today I'm here in my Zoom studio with the co-producers and director and writing team for the Penumbra podcast. It's Sophie Takage Kaner and Kevin Vibert. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, So thank you. And I thought to kick things off, I wanted to ask about uh, your start then with the Penumbra. So where did you get the idea from and how did your inspiration grow to... uh, to write this podcast? Well, we did not
2: set out to write a podcast. No, definitely not. (laughs) That was never the plan. (laughs) The way it started was in October of 2015, I think? I think
3: that's right. Yeah, 2015.
2: 2015. Wow. Wow. In October of 2015, um, I think I happened to come across some old radio plays. (laughs) There was a series called Suspense. Suspense. Yeah, and they would do like (laughs) horror radio plays and we listened to some of them because it was around Halloween and then we wanted like to do Halloweeny things. And then I was like, oh, why don't we write something like this? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, Kevin and I met in college yeah. in a writing program and we had seen each other's writing a lot, but we had never actually worked on something together.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So we wrote our first radio play.
3: We did uh, our the first one that we wrote was Shaken, which is still the first. No, is it? It's not the first episode of the show, is it? Is no, we released it later. Yeah, so it's the third episode of the show. Yeah, um, but that's the first one that we wrote because initially, since we were just listening to suspense, we thought we were going to do a kind of Twilight Zony anthology yeah. show kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then we didn't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we just, like I asked some friends from college who live mm-hmm. nearby to come and do a table read with us just for fun. We mm-hmm. invited people over and then we were like, oh, let's record it. That'll be fun. Just for fun. <laughs> Yeah, let's just, you know, record it while, while we're doing it because, you know, it's supposed to be a radio play. And then once we had the recording, we were like, oh, we should try to put in sound effects. Mm-hmm. And we tried. <laughs> and so Shaken was our first attempt at doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think originally Kevin was going, to do the sound effects.
3: Yeah, so I did about half the sound design for Shaken and the original Murderous Mask. Really? You did Murderous Mask too? I did. Well, I put in a lot of the sound effects. Oh. You ended up doing the final pass on everything. So the way that you can tell what I added to Shaken and Murderous Mask is if you hear something in either of those episodes and you go, wow, that sounded bad, that was probably <laughs>
2: that <is> not true. <laughs> I did not know what I was doing at that time. But yeah, I think you like got fed up with it at a
3: certain point, so I took mm. over. It was just very slow.
2: Anyway, so that those were the first couple that we did, and we thought it was going to be mostly horror. And then we had the idea for Juno Steel, and then we kind of fell in love with it and kept going. And then I think it was your idea to start putting up the episodes on
3: iTunes. Yeah, I think it was. I had been wanting to, you know, put up my writing in some kind of regular way for a while at that point, because I've been I've been writing daily since I was like, it was since I was like 19. And so I've, I've had a bit of practice at it, but I had felt and the people that I've shown my writing to, uh, had tended to really enjoy it, but I was definitely starting to feel like I want to see what other people think. I want to see if I'm just in a little echo chamber or something like that. So yeah, I think that's, that's why I was initially interested in getting a couple of these out just to see, and then we let it drop and we move on with our lives.
1: Yeah. And, uh, then we just never stopped. Yep. I have to say, I'm very happy that you did not stop. (laughs) (laughs) But
2: like that, that sort of is the explanation for why it is such a bizarrely structured show. The reason is that it was not intended to be a show at the beginning. Huh.
1: So now, where did the um, the other ideas come from? Because I, you have Juno Steel, but then you also start Second Citadel. I mean, I, they're so, like, different. How did mm-hmm. you, I mean, where did they come from?
3: So after a while, we realized that we wanted to keep on doing the Juno series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after a while doing that, we realized that we really liked having a recurring series with recurring characters. <laughs> and also, doing all of these one-offs was... Uh, was so
2: exhausting. It was so
3: tiring because the work of making the audience like a character so early. Early on is um, I think it's something that that was kind of a trial by fire for us. Like, I think that we we got pretty good at it pretty quickly, but it's really tough. And it means that you can't actually do much plot wise in the episode. Right. Um, You have
2: to get the audience on board. Yeah. You have to spend a lot of time doing that.
3: So eventually we kind of shifted to I think the way that we were thinking about it was season one was we'll alternate between Juno Steel and like. Soft pilots for another series, right? Or, so
2: we were going to see what stuck.
3: Yeah, so kind of like Coyote the Painted Plains kind of fits in that mold. Yeah, there are a bunch of episodes that we either wrote or planned out, or even but, recorded, or even recorded but that never we released uh, that we didn't use. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a there was a third like mainline series that we thought we were going to do mm-hmm. along with Juno and uh, Second Citadel. Yeah,
2: and, and then we recorded some of it, and then we were like,
3: mm, doesn't work. No.
2: I'm not <laughs> And, I mean, the way that we came up with Second Citadel at first was we wanted to do a story about knights. Yep. And we, the whole seed was the characters of Sir Mark and Sir Telfrin. We thought it would be an interesting thing that we hadn't seen before to have a disabled knight with Mm -hmm. a horse instead of a wheelchair. And it like had to be a slightly magical horse. Right. You know, and then we thought maybe it would make more sense if there was somebody with him. And so it made sense for for that to be his brother, and the whole universe built outwards from that seed.
3: Yeah, and I think that we were just surprised to find after the head of the Janus Beast, which, you know, went through a bunch of revisions, and after the first version of it, I don't think either one of us was very fond of it, but after the version we ended up going with, I think that we both had a very strong feeling of, like, I could I could do more of this. Uh, especially in terms of Sir Caroline actually. That's who I really wanted to go back to.
2: Yeah, and just like the universe felt interesting. Like yeah. for Juno, I think we what kept us going was we loved the character so much mm-hmm. and
1: for Second Citadel I think the universe kind of grabbed us. Yeah, definitely. So then does your story creation process and like writing, does it look different for Juno Steel and then for Second Citadel or are your processes similar?
3: In some small ways it does. Uh, Although I think as of, we're we're on season three now and as of season three, that has been scrambled even further. Because for a while for the Juno series, it was always like, you know, how is Juno going to grow? What is Juno dealing with? It was always very, you know, centered around him. Mm -hmm in the Second Citadel series, we knew that we wanted an ensemble cast. So there was an observation that we had made when we were watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine a while ago about the structure of each of those episodes where I started to realize that within each episode, you have an A plot, a B plot, and potentially a C plot. And essentially, all that happens is they take the main cast and they shuffle them across those three plots just to find who would it be fun if we put in the same room together. And we really wanted to give that a shot. So to start with Second Citadel was all very prompted by who's in our ensemble Ensemble. Who do we want to introduce? Who do we want to meet? And so, I think that those were the prompts. There were more interpersonal, and for Juno, the prompts were probably more personal.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, following Juno. Yeah, yeah.
1: So then, how do you? How did you go into making characters that I? I think you have a wonderful cast of characters in both of them, and it blows my mind how you. There are so many characters that each that people can connect to. And even within like my own friend group, we love the Penumbra and it brought us together as friends. So thank you for that. Um, but each of us has a character in Penumbra, specifically in Juno Steel, that we really connect to and that- Who's is, yours? Uh, it's Mick Mercury. Nice. Yes, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I will say the scene in season two where he's like, possessed and he's like I'm gonna make tea and then Juno is like I need to watch this happen it's comedy <laughs> Every time my friends come over and I'm being like hospitable and I'm like do you want me to make you a drink? they're like okay yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'd love to see it Yeah, <laughs>
1: like, well but it, it's amazing that now like you have a thing that has become something that is like I, I don't know like a household name at least in mm-hmm. my <laughs> so, In some households, some told household. household, it's very, it's very big, and we're always throwing a classic like, "Oh my god, that's such an array! <laughs> You're an array of! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, how, how did you do? I mean, like, did it just?" How did you come up with these characters? I I love them. I mean, a lot of
2: them, maybe most of them, are based on us yeah. in some in at least some way. Because mm-hmm. that's the easiest to write from.
3: Right. Yeah. I think one thing that Sophie and I think and talk about a lot is Whenever you're going with a character from, from any perspective, any identity, including the villains, like you've always, you've always got to go humanity first. And so in a lot of ways, I think that the way that we process that is by figuring out how we relate to that character and then asking small questions from there to spill out a little bit further right when we when the first episode we wrote mick into for example day that wouldn't die when we started we didn't have any prompt or any idea about who he was other than you know juno's messy friend
1: (laughs) well (laughs) Mick
2: was
3: very specifically mick was very specifically one of our messy friends (laughs) okay
2: yes but he was also specifically based on another character
3: that's true that's true
2: have you ever i don't know if you've ever played phoenix right no i have not
3: There's a character in that, that like, uh, so the the lawyer in Phoenix Wright, he has a messy friend in that named Larry Butts. And so we were very much like, we want a Larry Butts.
2: Yeah. Um, So it was like that framework (sighs) for a character. And then, yes, based on a messy friend of
3: ours. (laughs) Um, So I think that like direct, direct advice wise, what I, I guess what I'm what I'm kind of stumbling around saying is that I don't think we ever start. With really lofty intentions or, or goals or a plan, we sort of start with a very simple prompt like that. Mm-hmm. We want a Larry Butts. And then from there, it's just about making small observations, asking small questions until you end up with a messy person, right? Yeah.
2: And, and like different characters happen different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I rolled up with a lot of things I wanted for Kwan Yi. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, yes. <laughs> Your, uh, your 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 co writing style is absolutely roll up with a lot of things you want.
2: Yeah, I'm just like, here's okay, Kevin. I want these things. Right. Do it. <laughs> um, and for that character, I was just like, well, I want a really, really dramatic, girly witch who needs a lot of attention mm. and like acts like a baby so people will give her what she wants. <laughs> and
3: then I got to figure it out.
1: And then you figure it out, and you do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you <laughs> yeah it's, it's fantastic i just i love the penumbra so much i <laughs> oh thank you i yeah it, i have my uh, day that wouldn't die poster behind oh. me always oh yeah oh, wow, wow. <laughs> oh, amazing so and I will add that the reason I actually started listening to the penumbra is because my friends ran up to me after they had discovered it and they were like, Hey, listen to this podcast. There's a character that's you and you have to listen to it. <laughs> and I, I was honored to be honest. <laughs> that's <laughs> wonderful. I get scared when they tell me that, but that time I it turned out okay. <laughs> so now going back to, you know, your development process and writing, so you redid the first The first uh, arc, Juno Steele and the Murderous Mask. So, Mm -hmm. what happened that made you um, like want to do that, or what did you learn that sparked wanting to redo it? I mean, so as it should be. Clear, like we had
2: obviously zero experience with any of this before we did it. I mean, obviously, Kevin had a lot of writing experience, but not script writing experience. No, not at all. He had like short story and novel writing experience, which is quite different. Mm-hmm. So, like, our foray into doing this was completely new for all of us. You know, like he had not written in the style before, and I had never done sound design before, and I, you know, I'd never taken a class. I didn't know what kind of tools you were supposed to use, I didn't know anything. And so, you know, if you listen to the first season, what you can hear happening is us going from brand new and then like gaining a little bit of experience Mm -hmm. as it happened. And then when we got to the end of the first season, we listened back and we were like, oh my God, this sounds very different. Like we've both learned a lot. The quality has improved a lot. And by the end of the first season, It had started to become clear that people were actually listening to it. Mm -hmm. You know, for the first few episodes, it was like us begging our friends to listen and pass it on and like nobody was really that interested because why would anyone be interested like if your friend like if my friend was like I'm doing this podcast I'd be like okay you <laughs> know <laughs> so like they, they didn't care about it and it, it was like by the end of the first season that it started to develop a little bit of traction amongst people we didn't know yeah. you know it started to have a little teeny bit of a fan base and we were like oh we should try to approach this as a business. Mm -hmm. And I think that was around the time we started trying to approach it as a business. Mm -hmm. And we were like, well, but if we wanna grow it, We have a problem, which is that our first episodes sound really amateurish because they were.
3: We had also received a lot of iTunes reviews to the effect of, you know, that I listened to the first couple episodes. And I couldn't
2: get past it. Sound quality was so so bad. And we were like, okay, if we if we want to grow this audience, we can't just hope that they'll muscle through the bad episodes. Like we have to give them something that's closer to the quality that we can actually produce now. And so we were like, okay, well, we'll redo it. And then we were like, well, while we're redoing it, actually, there's a lot of stuff that I'd like to change, not just re-recording it and remastering it. Like there were a lot of, things about the writing that we didn't like anymore.
3: By the end of the season, it became clear that the Juno Steel that we wrote into that first episode was not the actual person that was going to start.
2: Right. The character had changed. There was, at that point, like there was stuff that we were uncomfortable with. Yeah. Like in the original Murderous Mask, one of the antagonists is like the triad gang. Mm -hmm. And that was because like, at that point, we were, like, very straight up just trying to do the noir thing. Yeah. And I think Kevin got that, like,
3: yeah, that's very just m- right from... That's very much like a, like a cyberpunk trope. So I was really, especially in that first version of that episode, we were just stapling together tropes that seemed relevant to the genres that we were
2: talking yeah, about. Yeah, so we weren't, like, we weren't really thinking about it that hard, and then we, like, came back around to it later, and we were like, oh, maybe that doesn't feel great, and, like, maybe we don't like that both of the antagonists in this arc, like, have Asian backgrounds, like, that doesn't feel great, and so, like, Mm -hmm. let's just you know, forget that, and then, like, while we're at it, we could tighten this up a lot more. And then I was like, well, while we're changing all of this, you know, I played like so many characters originally, because it was just us and our friends. It wasn't (laughs) meant to serious, you know? And then I was like, well, now it sounds ridiculous that I'm playing three different characters. So like, let me recast that. Mm -hmm. And we like completely
0: redid it.
1: Mm -hmm. So that was how that came to be. Okay.
0: And we're back. Once again, I have a fantastic interview that has gone on long enough that I need to cut it down into two episodes, but don't worry. It is definitely worth the wait. Now I must tell you that you should most definitely check out the Penumbra podcast. I listen on Spotify, but it's available pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. It is a phenomenal work, and my friends and I all give it glowing reviews. So it is fantastic, and I cannot thank Sophie and Kevin enough for bringing that to the world and for continuing to work with it, and it is just amazing. So thank you so much to them for being interviewed and for being such fantastic writers and directors and everything, and for the fantastic interview that I get to share part two of it with you next week. So stay tuned. The Penumbra and Sophie and Kevin will all be back next Wednesday, so stick around, all right? Now, also, if you have listened to The Penumbra and you would like to tell me about how much you love it, or you would like to ask me about it, or ask me about anything else, you can do so in my email inbox, which is Peyton peytonby.com, t-o-n at I look forward to hearing from you and hearing your thoughts, opinions, and anything else. But I will leave you with that, so thank you so much for tuning in. This has been COVID Operation. I've been Peyton Zignago. I will see you tomorrow. Make sure you stay safe out there. Peyton and Tapioca, over and out.